Today on Building in Faith with Pastor Ed Jones. Building in Faith. It's only as I look to Calvary and it's only as I believe that Jesus died for me that I'm saved. There's no other way to be saved. I know this is simple, but it's absolutely essential. You can't tell a person by being a good person you're going to get to heaven. By being a good person you're going to get to God. They may seem spiritual. They may seem mystical. They may seem like, boy, they're just a wonderful person. Reaching up high with arms open wide we see. You're changing our lives so we can be our hands and feet. How are we sure that we are saved? Some people think that they are saved by all the good deeds they do. In today's study, Pastor Ed will teach us that there is only one way to be saved, and that is through Christ's death and resurrection on the cross. The blood of the Lamb is the only way to overcome sin. Jesus willingly gave His life for us. All we need to do is confess Christ is our Savior. We can't work our way into heaven, so don't try. There's no other way to heaven except through the cross. Now here's Pastor Ed with today's message entitled, The Message of Salvation. Building in faith. He took our punishment on himself. Picture people coming to the cross. And that person has on them a sign, adulterer. Another person has on their sign, fornicator. Another person has on that sign, murderer. Another person has on that sign, gossip. They've destroyed life. And they, they take all of their sins and they just put it on Jesus. And Jesus became sin who knew no sin for us. The vilest of sins he took upon himself. That person who abuses children. That person who's taken the life of others. All the sins of humanity placed on Christ. In 1 Peter 2.24 it says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you've been healed. In 1 John 2, 2, he himself is a sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only for our sins, but the sins of all the world. In Galatians 3, 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on the tree. Jesus Christ on the cross bore our sins, carried our sins. He became sin for us. And it's only as I look to the cross, it's only as I look to Calvary, and it's only as I believe that Jesus died for me, that I'm saved. There's no other way to be saved. I know this is simple, but it's absolutely essential. 
You can't tell a person by being a good person you're going to get to heaven. By being a good person you're going to get to God. They may seem spiritual. They may seem mystical. They may seem like, boy, they're just a wonderful person. I remember, and I shared this once before, I remember going to Bath, England, and hearing that missionary who had served decades in India and built children's homes and orphanages and, and, and churches. And he went as an evangelical. When he came back, he said, I don't know if Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. And I remember going up to the pastor, the senior pastor of that church. It was the largest Baptist church in Bath, England. And I said, how could you let a man like that speak behind the pulpit? He said, well, we let people make their own decisions. This pulpit is sacred. There's no other way to be saved than Jesus Christ. When I believe that with all my heart and I'm going to live for God. The cross is the cost for my forgiveness. He suffered and died. We, We can't even measure the suffering that an infinite God experienced at that moment when he became sin. He experienced a break in fellowship with the Holy Spirit, a break in fellowship with God the Father. And the wrath, the judgment of God poured out upon him. This is the gospel that Paul speaks about. This is the gospel that's been preached in the book of Galatians, chapter 1. Paul the apostle is arguing and he's writing to the Galatians that they've left their faith, they are beginning to trust in works and they're beginning to go back and listen to what he says to these people in Galatia. They thought, well, I want to be a really spiritual Christian. I want to keep the law. Paul the apostle says in the book of Galatians, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. Listen to his words carefully. But even if we, meaning Paul, meaning James, meaning Peter, meaning John, if we, meaning the church, or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you. Let him be eternally condemned. As, as we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than that which you have accepted, let him be eternally condemned. Those are strong words. There's no other name given unto men whereby we must be saved. That simple truth should grip our hearts with a profound sense of awe, a profound sense of responsibility. A person cannot worship Buddha, cannot worship Mohammed, cannot even come into a church and say they're a Christian and not trust in Christ and expect to see heaven. 
It's only through Jesus Christ, what he did on the cross, and that simple faith that we must never move away from, that we must stay with. I've been trying to think about this. I said, you know, all of these evangelicals abandoning the very essence of the gospel. You know, we may disagree on eschatology. We may disagree on ecclesiology, the doctrine of the church, the doctrine of future things, you know, and, and all of those things. Uh, that's not going to affect your salvation. But if you miss the basics, the essentials, you're lost. It was not only a vicarious, a voluntary death, lastly it was a victorious death. In Colossians 2.15, in this way he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. What happened is when Jesus came, all of a sudden it was a light turned on and you see these demonic powers and they're fleeing in his presence. He's casting out these powers of darkness. They have no power over him. And on the cross, he defeated them. He disarmed them. Uh, that's what the Bible teaches. That's what happened. The victory over the powers of darkness. Satan would stand and accuse the believer before God. Think about Job. In the Old Testament, Job is a righteous man. There's no one more righteous than Job. And as Job is worshiping God, the enemy comes to accuse him. In verses 9 to 11 in Job chapter 1, does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied, have you not put a hedge around him and a household and everything he has? You've blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land but stretch out your hand and strike everything he has and he will surely curse you to your face. He accused Job. And that's why, that's how the story goes through the book of Job. You see, Job's faith and trust in God in spite of all that happens and uh, God just brings him through. I want to ask you, when the accuser of the brethren, brethren comes and accuses you to God what are you going to do when he accuses another believer to you what are you going to do when he accuses you to yourself well I like Revelation Revelation chapter 12 then I heard a loud voice in heaven say now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ for the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down at the end of time. They overcome him. This is speaking of believers. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony and they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. They overcame them by the blood of the lamb. You begin, thank God for the blood of Jesus. 
That's why Jesus died on the cross. He died for our sins and we plead the precious blood of Christ upon our own lives. And the enemy is silenced before God the Father with all of his accusations. And listen, don't let the enemy stand in your mind and stand in your heart and accuse a brother to you, a sister to you. And if he begins accusing you to yourself, plead the blood of Christ. Take refuge in the blood of the Lamb of God. See, the enemy's power is being and has been defeated. In Ephesians 6, 12, it says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. I remember years ago, a young girl got involved in the Ouija board, and she got really deep into it, and she started hearing voices. Her mother called me up about 11 o'clock at night, came over and, and just prayed and prayed in that household. And she was delivered from those voices. But don't play with evil. Don't open the door of your heart to evil. There is a real evil presence, but through the power of the blood of Christ, we can overcome it. I remember uh, people being delivered of demonic oppression where Satan really oppressed them, and they were prayed for and delivered. God's power is greater than the powers of darkness. And so if you're under the blood of Christ and you live for God, you don't have to walk in fear. Satan the tempter comes to tempt you. Satan wants to destroy people. He wants people to break the bonds of marriage. He wants people to live in sin and all sorts of things because with every sin, it's self-destructive. Sin destroys people's lives. But listen to the wonderful promise of Scripture in Hebrews chapter 4. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in the time of our need, in the time of your need, when you're tempted, when you're tested, when you're tried, and you just need strength. You can come and know that you'll find grace and mercy in the presence of God, and you know that he'll give you the victory and strength over it. He's defeated the works of darkness. The Christian doesn't have to live in defeat. It is a battle at times. And sanctification is progressive. That means you grow progressively in the Lord. But God doesn't want sin to have dominion over our lives. We could live victorious as we walk with God. He has defeated the powers of darkness. Satan has been defeated. Now, he's still fighting, but his end is certain. It's a victory over, over death. But in Luke 10, 18, it says... He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Satan has been defeated. It's victory over the power of death in Hebrews 2, 14 to 15. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, speaking about his incarnation, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death. That is, the devil. And free those 
who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. The fear of death is universal. Um, Several reasons people fear death. One, they fear the pain. Or they fear separation from what we know and our loved ones. Or they fear the unknown. What's out there? Or they fear non-being. Are they going to be obliterated? Is that just it? Or they fear everlasting punishment. But for the Christian, we're delivered from the fear of death. It's not to say that you don't have trepidation. But it is to say that there's this confidence beyond this life. There's a life with God. I wonder how Lazarus felt after he was raised from the dead. If he really looked forward to his, to when he would die again. Because he's got a glimpse of heaven. He got a glimpse of God's presence. Uh, it's said that those people who have the after death experience, they face life with a lot more confidence and they face death with a lot more assurance. There's this confidence. We sang about heaven. Uh, tomorrow we have a funeral service, but Michelle is with Jesus. She's with the Lord. We, we, there is sorrow. We miss our loved ones, but we know that they're with God. So that sting is taken out of death. Uh, there was a journalist that I was reading about, summerist uh, Mogaham. He was... 90 years old, and he wrote uh, a traveler in romance, and he wrote about not fearing death. He was 90 when he wrote this, and these are some of his words. He said, there are moments when I have so palpitating an eagerness for death that I could fly to it as to the arms of a lover. I'm drunk with the thought of it. It seems to me to offer a final absolute freedom. And he goes on, and he says he doesn't believe in an afterlife. He said, I should like to die quickly and painlessly, and I am content to be assured that with my last breath, my soul with its aspirations and its weaknesses will dissolve into nothingness. Now, his nephew, when uh, this man, Summers, turned 91, changed his tune a little, And his nephew tells about this time together he had uh, with his uncle. He said, I I found him, and he was reading the Bible, very large print. And he looked uh, horribly. His face was grim. He said, I've been reading the Bible you gave me, and I've come across a quotation. What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? And then he said, you know, that verse used to be across my room by my bed. And then all of a sudden, like a fear gripped a hold of this man. And he says, he he gave a gulp. He buried his head in his hands. Uh, While he looked up, his grip tightened. And he was staring towards the floor again. And he began to shriek. Go away, he cried. I'm not ready. I'm not dead yet. I'm not dead yet. I tell you, 
And you just see this man suddenly changes. He's about to face death. You look at Christians when they die. You read the testimony of Christian leaders and godly men and godly women with the anticipation they look forward to when they get a glimpse of heaven as they get closer home, as that pilgrim gets closer to their journey's end. And I've been with Christians and they didn't know if they were going to come out of the surgical room or not. I remember Mike just thinking of Mike now when I said that. Mike, they didn't know if he was going to live or not. They told him 10, 12-hour surgery. Such fear. There was no fear there. There was a confidence. And he said, listen, I want to say my last goodbyes and everything. And, you know, he just remembered people praying for him. And there was a peace. And I, I've been with Christians. And there is a different attitude Jesus took the sting of death away. He destroyed its power. Christ's death was voluntarily. It was voluntary. It was vicarious. He died for you. He died for me. It was victorious. He won. He won. He was triumphant. I want to read to you the Heidelberger catechism a question question one one of the questions in there what is the only comfort in life and in death and here's the answer they have that I with body and soul both in life and in death am not my own but belong to my faithful Savior Jesus Christ who with his precious blood has fully satisfied for all my sins and redeem me from all the power of the devil. And so preserves me that without the will of my Father in heaven, not a hair can fall from my head. Yea, that all things must work together for my salvation. Wherefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready henceforth to live unto him. Christian, the cross is our place of refuge. The cross of Jesus Christ. His death, his burial, his resurrection, his atoning sacrifice, atoning for our sins. He, he bought us back. He redeemed us from the powers of darkness. He justified us before God. He reconciled us with God. It's as if we had never sinned. It's as if Jesus Christ lived your life for you. You take his track record and he takes yours. The great exchange on the cross of Calvary. Lewis Sperry Schaefer the founder of Dallas Theological Seminary said, I believe he was, the righteous one upon the cross is the sinner's only point of contact with the saving power of God. The righteous one upon the cross is the sinner's only point of contact with the saving power of God. That's your only hope. It's not an emotional experience in church, though I think we ought to have emotions in church. It's not because you give to the building fund, though we appreciate your giving to the building fund. It's not because you work in the Sunday school or because somehow 
you're just not living for the world, but you're living a good life. It's not that. It's the cross and the cross alone. Our only hope, our only refuge, our only place to put our confidence in. Well, that's all the time we have for today's edition of Building in Faith with Pastor Ed Jones of Faith Assembly in Poughkeepsie, New York. There's more to come from Pastor Ed's teaching series entitled Walking in Our Salvation. We encourage you to download today's message again to review. Simply log on to buildinginfaithradio.com and select today's date from the Building in Faith media player. Again, that's buildinginfaithradio.com. Maybe today's message brought a family member or friend to mind. You can share today's message via Facebook and Twitter by simply logging on to buildinginfaithradio.com and clicking on today's date. There, you'll find all the options to share. Now, we'd like to invite you to join us at Faith Assembly for worship on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. or Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. For driving directions and more information, log on to buildinginfaithradio.com and follow the link to Faith Assembly. Or feel free to give us a call at 845-462-5955. That's 845-462-5955. Well, that's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to Building in Faith with Dr. Ed Jones. We invite you to join Pastor Ed as he continues teaching through the Word of God right here on Building in Faith. Your Word brings so